My part of this is a lot of people have asked, especially since Israel has been in the news and Israel is, is such a hot topic. It's hard to imagine this country that is a little bit you know, bigger than Dallas, Texas, yet everything in the world talks about them. It's, if you don't believe in God, just because of that, you know, we, we, there's things we don't even mention, you know, what's happened in Morocco. Anybody know what's happened in Morocco? Anybody know what's happened? In, in, no, it's Israel. It's always Israel. Why? Because they are God's people. And, and, and there's no getting around that. They are God's people. Now, we as children of God, we as people bought in through the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. And that's a, that's a totally different group. We're brought into the family, but not under the, the Jewish law, not under a Jewish life. We are people of faith. We are people of grace. We are brought in as the bride of Christ. Look at the person beside you, unless you're Jewish, and look at them and say, I am the bride of Christ. That's how I got into this thing. That's how I got into the family. I am not Jewish. I do, I do not claim to be, do not uh, uh, and, and revere that, that having that ability to say that. That is awesome. Because when we study over this next 16 weeks, the first nine or ten of these is me going through and explaining who these people are. It's You have to get a firm understanding of who they are, and then you start to move into revelations, and I know everybody's like, oh, we're going to deal with prophecy, and we're going to deal with... Well, before we get to dragons and, 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 and all the other stuff that's flying around, let's, let's first figure out who we're talking about. And let's not just, just jump, because my version of the last four or five can be different than somebody else that preaches the last four or five. And I'm not coming by to tell you I've nailed it all down, and I'm not even going to try to get into, quote, prophecy and try to write a book and then five years later realize my book's no good. I've got to write another one because all of it's out of date. I'm, I'm not going that route. I'm just going to hit the parts that I know when we get there. But to me, it's the journey. It's knowing who these people are. And how they fit. Why is everything about the Bible? Why is everything about society? Why is all that we read about? Why is it Israel? Why is it that, that sitting on the Congress seat, we've got Congress people saying, from the river to the sea, and they don't even know what they're talking about. They're just spewing words. They don't even realize that that is a cry of the Antichrist to be able to say, we're going to push them from the Jordan River until we push them into the ocean and they all drowned. We're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's what that cry is for. And yet people just ignorantly don't know. And so tonight we're going to start this process. Hopefully you've got the papers or sheets. If you don't, raise your hand and we'll try to get you one. And if you don't, you know, if you don't want one, just look on the person beside you and steal theirs, whatever you've got to do. So let's just jump in and, and let's move uh, through all that we can tonight. I'm going to get through just, a, just the introduction tonight. And we'll work from there. These people, by definition, an easy way to write this on your paper that you have, these people are called the people of the book. That's what they are. They are the people of the book. They're, they're, that's the title they have lived with for, for hundreds of thousands of years. Even when, when Muslim countries have captured them, when they have been conquered and other things have happened... Even the Muslims call them the people of the book. 
Because that, that is their foundation. That is everything that holds them together. It is not just some feeling or some belief or some hair color or something that holds them together. It is that book that they possess, the Torah, and through all of the, what we call the Old Testament, through the whole Old Testament, they hold that as reverent. They hold that as, as, as just life. It's, it's more important than life. That's how they have survived Holocaust and all the things, is that they would rather die than to give up the book. In fact, there's a story that is told, and it's told by a rabbi, and this is how he tells the story. When a man came to him, this story was first spoken when a man during the Roman Empire came to him. Rome had just passed a decree that, that Jewish people could not read the Torah anymore. They had basically put a book ban, and they said, you cannot read the Torah anymore. Well, the next day, this rabbi is out in the middle of the street reading the Torah. And somebody came by and told him, hey, man, you, you know this will get you killed. And he tells him this story. He says, young man, he said, let me tell you a story. He said there were fish in a brook. And they were, they were scrambling back and forth. They were scrambling. They would just run one way and run the other. And this, this old fox came up, and this fox looked over in there, and he's watching, and finally he just looks down, and he t- says, what are y'all doing? They said, the, these people, they keep putting nets out, and they keep putting all this stuff out to catch us, and so we, we try to stay away from these nets, and we try to stay away from all this stuff. And the old fox said, well, We can quickly solve that. Come out on the land with me, and you can live at my house. And you won't have to worry about all these people trying to kill you. And the fish looked up and said, you are supposed to be wise, but you're foolish. We would rather take the risk of dying in our environment than to face a sure death in yours. And that's how they believe in the book. If you were to say, give up the book, we would die. Don't, don't, don't read it anymore. We would die. Don't pass it on to your... We would die. You, you, you might get killed. I would rather die reading the book and living by the book than I would in your world where I'm surely going to die. So when you understand that about them, you, you can grasp now all of a sudden why this is so important, why... God realizes these are my people. These are my chosen people. These are the people that, that I have called out of their bondage. I have called out of, of, of multiple situations. So understanding that, that the book is so important and that the book is, is how they live and how we should live, let's go now. Number one, we're going to go through three beginnings through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is going to give us three beginnings that are important for you to grasp. Number one, we're going to have the beginning of God's voice. In fact, the, the, the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, and the Lord spoke. And the Lord spoke. Now, Genesis is written by Moses at a specific time while 
Moses has training. Moses has all the Egyptian training that he can have to write to be able to. So Moses is this not just a person picked to take Israel, these Jewish people, out of bondage, but he's also the one that when God calls him up to Mount Sinai and calls him up for 40 days at a time and he's up there, he is writing the history of the world. He is hearing the voice of God, and because of his ability to write and his ability to do what he can do, he can transpose what God wants to say and what God wants to relate to humanity. So in the beginning, we have God's voice. Go with me to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We cannot go in this study without first establishing the Word of God and its importance and everything that we're fixing to talk about. Because if I start to share some of this stuff with you, and I'm going to in a few minutes, it's going to be really hard to believe the world was just flooded one day. It's going to be real hard to believe that God did this, and God, but He did, because it's in the book. Here's what it says. Paul writing to Timothy. Now, this is a New Testament, so this would be us. And here's what he says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, if you have the word of God and you believe on the word of God and you are established in the word of God, you are lacking nothing in information. You are lacking nothing in knowledge. Nothing in your ability. Now, it may sound strange to the person you're talking to, but that's okay. You still are lacking nothing. When you say, I believe God created the world, and they say, well, I believe aliens dropped us over here, you just got to figure out which one is dumbest. I believe we just came out of pond sludge, the hair fell off, and the tail fell off one day, and we, bam, here we are. Well, I believe God. You're going to have to choose. God says, and to Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, everything I'm giving you is all that is required. Now, that word inspired, put it down, 2 Timothy 3, 16, see you have a dash there. That word inspired, what that means is literally God breathed. That's just God breathed. We'll cover that in a few minutes. So what does it mean when, when God breathes? Well, go with me to 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Here's what it says. 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 16. For we did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came from him from the excellent, excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter writing about this says, listen, everything we're telling you is not fables or something. We've, we were there. We were eyewitnesses to everything that we're telling you, to everything that we're speaking on. Put down also... There by the dash of 2 Peter, put Holy Spirit. You can write Holy Spirit. Okay, what does those two put together mean? Well, let me give you a definition then for inspiration. 
Inspiration is simply this, is when God empowered men through the Holy Spirit to speak and write His truth. That's all it is. It is when God breathed upon. Now, listen, let me explain this breathed upon. There's two ways that that the world looks at it like this. Sam, you wrote it, and then God did what? Which did what? Made it true, okay? That's the way the world would see it, okay? Because the world's going to look at you and say, men wrote this book. Uh, uh, you know, people, just people wrote this thing and put it together and all this. You don't know if it's true or not true. It was written. Okay. If you go by that definition, you're right. It's hard to defend. But that's not what the Bible says. It says God breathed upon who? Men. Not the Word. He breathed upon men. Why, why is that important? All right, let me say it this way. If I have a horse... And me and this horse are just riding along. And I got reins. What is my job? Stay in the saddle. <laughs> That's the first thing. You're exactly right. <laughs> Stay in the saddle. Do not fall off of this horse. You will get hurt. Okay, so I've got the reins. I'm staying on the horse. What's my job? Okay, now, now guiding it, what do you mean? If we're, on, if we're riding along, what, what does guiding look like on a horse? Now, understand, this is a Bible study. This is not me, me preaching. So, so we're here to learn. So if I'm guiding my horse, if I'm riding along, am I, am I, is that the way you see somebody ride a horse? What do they tell you about holding the reins? How do you hold the reins? Lord, that's a 2,000-pound dumb animal. You think I'm going to ride that thing loose? I'm going to hold that bad boy like, you're going to go this way. No. You hold the reins loose. They're just dangling. And you're just, because 90% of the time, he's going to do what? He's going to go the right direction. But the other 10%, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down now. When the Bible says God breathed upon men, it's why the Bible is such a unique book. Is that he doesn't pull the reins and make Peter write like Paul and Paul write like James. And write. It's, it's not. He lets them all run the way they were designed to run, how they were created. He lets Moses write the way Moses writes. He lets each person do it. But at the same time, God breathed. In other words, spirit moved upon them to make sure that they didn't do what? Didn't put anything in there that God says isn't my truth. So that's how I know the word of God is true. Because it's not that people wrote a book and then God, it's good now, I breathed on it. No, it's that he breathed upon the men. And the men, while they're inspired by God, began to write the... And when you can see it that way, you understand how the Bible is so unique and and, and how it works, and why we, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. It's inspired by God. It's, 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 it's God breathed. It's, it's full of the Holy Spirit who is guiding. It's an inspiration, which means God empowered men through the Spirit to speak and to write His truth. 
Is that okay? Okay. So now go with me to Exodus. Exodus 34, 27 and 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread or drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So this is the the way God said, I spoke to Moses. This is how I I, I moved. So you've got a dash there, write the word told. He told Moses what to write. That was the style. Why? Because, like I said, Moses was educated in Egypt. God could come down and speak to Moses, and Moses could articulate in in words. And that's why when you read Genesis, and you read Exodus, and you read uh, uh, Numbers, and you read all that, it's written in such a unique, powerful way, because it is dictation from God to Moses, and Moses, because of his education, can dictate. Now, on the other hand, go with me to 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13. But God has revealed them to us through His... For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the... Now these things are taught. They're not told, they are moved upon... A spirit. And I hope Tim, I, I, I'm not going to bust the bubble and share his testimony, but I hope he, he, had, a, he had a powerful moment with God. This, this, I don't know if he shared it with the guys on the trip, but had a powerful move of God on his life. And all it involved was a cat. All it involved was a cat. And I, and I want Tim to tell the story, but I'm not going to break it. But basically, God used a cat to speak into Tim's life a truth that when he was telling it to me four days later in the shed out here when we were working, started crying. And I'm like, and I started crying. And I'm like, man, God's all in that. How, how do you know? Because, because that's, that's God teaching you through the moments of your life and revealing truths to you that you would not get off of just knowing it's not God just coming down and saying, let me tell you something, Tim. Here's where you... He didn't do that. He came down and used a cat, and that cat broke him. And I thought, that is so awesome. I've had the same situation. I remember my lawnmower once was, was broke down, and, and I was fussing to God, you know, like God didn't care who I was and didn't know who I was and didn't, didn't take care of stuff. You know how you get in those moments like, man, if God, if you was doing it, if I was God, I know I'd be doing it. He's just not doing it right. And I'm fussing with God, and my lawnmower, the belt comes off at the same time. And I'm like, see, I wouldn't let that happen. And so I, I get off the lawnmower, and my, my pond years ago was right by my shed, so it was all right there together. So I'm fussing with God. I stick my hand under there. I'm putting the lawnmower belt back on you. Anybody ever have one of them old Murray mowers? You got to rewrap that thing around four pulleys, and you have to get it all. You have to push the tension in, and I was chicken and pulling, sticking my arm. I mean, I was, I was giving it a heck. Finally got it done, got up, crunked the lawnmower, <sighs> started backing up. And about that time, a moccasin about this size. I mean, his head was every bit of that. Just come easing out toward the pond. 
And God, in this beautiful way that he talks to me, he said, you idiot. Don't ever tell me I'm not watching out for you. Who do you think was watching out for you while you were fussing at me? I don't know if God talks that blunt to you, but he talk, he, he's pretty straight with me. It, some of y'all may not be mature enough to get it that straight, but I'm, he may just have to say, you poor little thing, you. No, when he talks to me, it's like, you get it? You get it? You get it? And I'm just sitting there white as a ghost, like, watching that thing. I didn't think about killing it. I was just thinking, watching it ease off in the pond and thinking, I don't ever want to see that again. And I know you have those moments where God teaches you. Think of the disciples. Everything they wrote down in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was through their experiences. And somebody will say, oh, well, this, they, didn't, they didn't line this up and this up. They're not writing out of that. They're writing from their experiences as the Spirit moves on them, and they're sharing with you as the Spirit moves the, the story that they could share, the story that they are telling, what we saw. And they said, we couldn't even tell you all the things we saw. Just giving you a glimpse. Books couldn't contain all he taught us. Sleeping outside with him three years in a row. Imagine all the stories he told. Imagine all the, every question. We just get a few questions. Don't you think they ask questions all the time? I would have. Hey, what about dinosaurs? What, what about this? What about, and you're keeping him up half the night. Hey, before you go to bed, could you answer this one? They did that for three years. And they said, he answered them all. He answered them all. Why is this important, Brother Lot? Because listen to me, without the book, if we don't believe the book, then nothing I teach about prophecy, nothing I teach about the future, you're going to either look at it like, uh, I guess. No, no. Look at the person beside you and say, you must believe the book. If you can't believe the book, then, it, then we're just talking. That's why I tell people, don't have debates with people in the world. Why? They don't believe the book. You're, you're talking about something they don't believe in. And until they first believe, there's no sense in having this. That's why you preach. You preach, and somebody says, well, I believe. Good, now we can talk about the book. But I can't wear a T-shirt to the world and say, look, turn or burn. That's not. They're like, well, you're a hater. Well, I'm telling you the truth in love. No, that's not love. So we have among it the prophets, and in those books of prophets, and we'll cover all this as we go, but the books of the prophets are simply books that God moves upon men to declare His Word to humanity. Sometimes it's past, sometimes it's future, sometimes it's present. And then the Gospels, the word gospel literally means good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. The four Gospels. They are the good news that's been brought to us. And we'll cover a lot of this, but what I want you to understand is first is that we must grasp that the book is the book. You cannot change. Even the Muslims believe in the book to the certain degree till they get to the Esau's and, the, and then they kind of like, well, that's our group. But they believe in the book. If you ask them, did God create the world? Yes. They, they don't have an argument with that. And so as we get through number one, we must be people of the book. Number two, so let's look at then how this world began. Let's look at the beginning of the world we know. Genesis 3 and 15. 
And we'll run through this and, and, and try to cover this. But since we all believe in the book now, this will not be strange to us. This will be easy to, easy to understand. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy given to us. And God, through Moses, says, right, this is what happened. This was the word that I spoke over Satan. That through woman's seed, through a human being, I will take back the dominion that Satan, the snake, has taken. And I will bruise his head. I will destroy his kingdom. He will bruise his heel, which we know that Jesus dies on the cross. He's condemned to death, but death can't hold him. Three days he ra he's raised from the dead. But the enemy still bruises him, trying to stop him. But God, in the very first prophecy, gives us here an understanding and says, okay, this is what happened. Adam and Eve was my first creation. And when I created Adam and Eve and created the garden and created everything that, that you see, and it was, it was at that time perfect, Moses. There was a garden. They had a good life. Didn't know sin. Naked, running around, no problem. I told them there was one tree they couldn't eat of. They ate of it. They disobeyed and brought sin into the world. Moses, this was the curse of sin. But don't worry. I made a promise that I would fix it. Now go with me to chapter 6. The world ain't happy enough yet. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 12. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was what? It's all corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So it was bad enough that Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world. Now humanity itself, as it's populating and growing and multiplying, there is no, there is no voice of God, no law, no rule, no anything. And man, instead of pursuing after God, decide to pursue after their own lust, their own desires, and they take it further and further and further until it's to a point to where God says, there's no fixing this. There's no fixing this. I'm sad I ever made this. But Noah found favor. And God flooded the entire world. I know 400 billion years ago there was a meteor or something happened or something, this and that. No, several thousands of years ago, there was a flood. That's why you find whale bones on top of the mountains. It was a bad flood. It flooded the entire. There was not one mountain, Mount Everest, or whatever you want to call, wherever that was not covered with water. There was no land. And it stayed that way for months and months. I cannot imagine the death, the smell of things floating, of things dying, of things decaying, of what all that took place. I just know that God provided inside one little boat, one, one, one cork-looking boat that he told Noah how to build, designed it and said, get your family in it. And God miraculously lets animals come into it. I told you, you got to believe the book, because if you don't, this is going to sound strange, that God speaks to animals and tells them, you better get on that boat. 
And they go, coming on the boat. And all these months, they live on this boat until the water starts to recede. And God then speaks and looks at him. Go to Genesis 9, verses 1 through 7. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, this is amazing because this is the same thing he says to Adam and Eve. But he says it to Noah in a different world. This is the world we live in. In this world of death, this world that's broken up after the flood, that has all types of, uh, of rivers and, and, and all the different problems that it has. It's, it's, not, it's an imperfect world. But he still looks at Noah and his sons and says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of the Lord and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. In other words, you're you're going to have dominion. You still have dominion. On every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for you... For your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. For the hand of every beast I will require it. And for the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Now notice what God says. He says, let me tell you one thing that I'm going to put on humanity and I'm going to put inside the kingdom of this world is that everybody knows there's a consequence for killing. That's how you get atheists. Because if I walk up to an atheist and I got a gun in my hand, and I'm like, you're an atheist, right? Yes. Good. Then I'm going to shoot you and take your wife and your house. You can't do that. You're only seven pounds of dirt. You have no real value. When you die, you're gone. There is no heaven. There is no hell. We got nothing to lose. It's survival of the fittest. I got a gun. Do you? No. Whoop, too bad. I win. Now, if I walk up to any atheist and say that, you know what they're going to tell me? You can't do that. It ain't right to kill. Oh, oh, oh. By what law do you have anywhere that there is a right that you have that I ain't to kill you? You believe in no God. You have no... So you can't believe there's any value in a life. And that's where they're stuck. Because built within every man is the understanding of the value of life. That's how you know God is real. Because you didn't get that through pond sludge. And you didn't get that through the stars. You got that because when God made you and designed you, He put you that way. That's why when I look at you, you do have value. I would not hurt you or shoot you or do. Why? Because you are created in God's image. That's what he says. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of was every man made. See, even, the, even people who say I don't believe in God still like the fact that they're made in his image. I'm valuable. Says who? God. Right. The teenager with a gun in the, in the coffee shop don't think so, does he? But God does. 
And that's how you know there's no such thing as atheism. You may not like God. You may not want to serve God. But you sure like his, his things he's given you. You don't want to live like a wild pig out in the woods and have the bear eat you. You like the life that you have because God has put it in you. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So I believe in the book. So that means I believe in a flood. I believe there was two perfect people that ate, ate a fruit they shouldn't have ate and they brought sin into the world. I believe it all. Go with me to Genesis 11, 5 through 9. Now, if you believe the book, it's going to get real cool. But the Lord came down to see the city and the town which the sons of men had built. They started multiplying, got the big group of people. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Nothing will be impossible. Because they all are, can talk alike, and they all can think alike, and they all look alike, and they all come. Let us go down there and confuse their language. That they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased to build the city. Therefore, it is name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. From there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. How did people get all over the world? I'll tell you how. Because once they were all one people in one place, and God came down and He taught one Chinese and gave one... Uh, this language, and one speaking German, and one speaking this language, and one speaking, and, and it's like, no, yes. God came down and confused every language. And I don't know whether shape, color, size, where all that works in, but I know what it's done. God knew that by just by messing people up a little bit, they wouldn't like to walk with each other. And now because somebody looks different, somebody walks different, somebody lives in a different country, somebody's a different shade, and somebody's a different language. It's amazing how God knew, all i got to do is change what you're doing. You can't talk alike. You ain't all Southern. If you don't all say y'all, you won't like each other. Do you believe the book? I believe the book. I believe the book. And God says, this is how I did it. This is the way I did it. Now, does that answer all the questions of all the... No. And there's a lot of questions that I won't be able to understand because God says, it's not a history book. It's a book of how I began everything. And now we get to the final beginning and God says, let me tell you the last thing I began. A nation. The last thing that I created was... A nation. Go with me in your Bibles to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country. For your family, from your family and from your father's house and the land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Herod. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, I guess some kin of me somewhere down the line. (laughs) And their possession that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Let's go back and let's look at the promises that God has given. And you can write these down because they're important. Let's go back to verse 1 and let's work through this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of the country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you, number one, I will make you what? Make you a great nation. How many children does Abraham have? Zero kids. He has no children. Now let me explain this to you. Abram is from the land of Ur, the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are people that have lots of different, they they worship the moon god. That is, that is there in history when they've dug up the Chaldean history and, and dug up and found that that's who they were. They, they didn't just worship the moon god. They were also people who sacrificed their own children to the gods. Now this is strange because it will make more sense later when Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his He has spent 25 now, probably 40 years away from this to believe in a God who's going to bless him. And God says, here is your great test. I want you to do what your forefathers had done and kill and burn your son unto me. See, this wouldn't have been strange to Abraham. But it would have been the greatest test of faith to Abraham. Because Abraham would be saying, I'm going back to everything. And I'm having to decide whether you're like the gods that my forefathers had worshipped. But I trust you. Because Abraham had a faith in Hebrews that's told to us that's different than his. He's, He's not a Chaldean anymore. He is a father of a nation. By now, the Bible says in Hebrews, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, not like his forefathers and step back and burn him and that was it, but he had the faith to believe that if he sacrificed him, he would step back and say, God, now give him back to me. And God who had promised that through this child you would be blessed, that God would raise him up, put him back together and have him walk off that altar because he tells his servants, me and the lad, we go yonder to worship and we shall return. That's how strong his faith is. That's why we call him the father of faith. Because the more you research and the more you study, the more you find out that God was not just picking anybody. He was picking somebody that could hear his voice 
And when he heard his voice, would trust him enough to leave everything he has. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Number two. Number three, I will make your name And we write songs about him. Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had father. And I am one of them. And so will you. So let's just pray. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But as a kid, we grew up. Let's just. We love that part. Let's just pray. We just shake the other person real hard. Anybody remember that? I will make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. Next, you shall be a Not only will I bless you, but because of who you are, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who... And I will... So as we begin this journey, this nation that's being created, God said, let me establish something. Abraham, I got your back. So when you're asking questions, where's America in Revelations? Where's all the? That's not important. Let me just put it to you real plain. God doesn't care. He cares about people who are his people, but he doesn't care about America. He only has one people. And they are the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we are grafted in, not by being Jewish, but we're grafted in because we are sons of faith. And our faith, just like Abraham, by grace, drafts us in to the kingdom of God. So we don't become the children of Moses or the children of the law. We become children of Abraham. He who started by faith, we are grafted in there. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses That's why there's such a battle right now in our nation because our nation is trying to decide, do we we support Israel? Do we, do we, and we try to figure out, well, are they good? Are they bad? Are they, are they doing right? Are they doing wrong? Let me tell you this. It don't matter. That's not for us to judge them. God's always took care of them and he's judged them just as harshly. We are simply on the side that has to decide those are God's people and I'm going to support and I'm going to bless God's people. Let me stop. And if there's any questions so far, if we come through the Bible, we've come through uh, the, the creation of our, our world now uh, as we see it and, and we're starting into this nation. Any questions? I don't want to make this a, a lecture. That's not what I intended to do. I'm, I'm just laying the groundwork. Any questions that kind of sticks out? Am I answering everything? We're building this thing pretty good. Okay, well, when you have uh, Ishmael and also Esau, who is going to be, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a few seconds, but, but Ishmael and Esau, those are the two illegitimates that God says, I did not choose either one of those. Ishmael, because he had done promise that it would come through Sarah, and, and then Esau, because God says, I, did, I just don't like Esau. I don't like his heart. And later we find that out because Esau's willing to sell everything he's got for a bowl of soup. And, and God's like, duh, uh, that's not the guy I'm turning my kingdom over to. You know, Jacob, even though he is a liar and a cheater, he ain't a quitter. 
He worked seven years for the wrong wife, and he worked seven more to get the right one. And, and God says, good, I'll break him. I'll teach him. I'll teach him that little sneaky rascal. I will teach him. But Jacob's not a quitter, so God uses Jacob. And, and Jacob is a unique character, and I'll talk a little bit about him Sunday when I talk about this first thing. But uh, it's just funny how he sees life. You know, you ask him, well, how's your life? It's long, miserable. You know, <laughs> that's Jacob. It's like 120 years of just misery. And I'm thinking, dude, you just, you just are a tough guy, and he has 12 kids. I ain't happy with the ones he's got. And it's, it's just, he's, just, he's just a mess. But God says, I, I pick him. And, and that's where Ishmael... Now, the problem is, is that when we talk about the Muslims and we talk about other countries that are over in Arab countries, that's where they come from. The Edomites, the, the different countries. So Islam, the, the people of Islam, because they've traced themselves back to Ishmael, they track themselves back to Esau, they track themselves back. They say, we're the older brothers. So therefore, the inheritance goes to and Israel is illegitimate. That's why we have a right to push them into the ocean because we are, by law, the people of God. But Jacob is by choice. Isaac is by choice. God chose them. And that's where the Muslims and others break off from the, from the Pentateuch and stuff. It's like, uh, y'all done went wrong. Well, uh, we go this way. And that's when they start writing and doing their own thing. Because they're like, oh, no, we're going to stay right here with Ishmael. We're going to stay right here with Esau. We're going to stay with, with the older group. We're going to stay. So, yeah, that's an awesome question. That, that is an awesome question. But that's what, that's what transpires in that is that because of that, because Abraham does this, he creates this problem that is to the day. And God can't do anything about it. I know people's like, well, why don't God? Because remember when Hagar is out in the desert and she's dying and the baby is dying. She lays the baby under a bush and walks away and says, I don't want to hear the baby die. That's what she basically does. And an angel comes and says, the baby's not going to die. We're going to make a great nation out of him. And I'm thinking, God, let the baby die. I've wondered that. Why didn't God just, because God's not a murderer. God said, no, Abraham had it. I'm not going to let Abraham go off the hook just because he had a child no, I will bless that child because I bless what? Abraham. And I must bless the child. And Abraham later, after Sarah dies, gets married again and has even more kids. We could go even further into that. Let's just say he populated a lot of the Arab country with his heritage. But that's why he's the father of faith. So, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be. Now we understand that because through Christ, we all are brought back into the family of God. Any more questions? Any more questions? Okay. Good, good. I don't, I don't want to, uh, awesome questions. I don't, I don't, you're not bothering me. I love this stuff. Head represents power, authority. The heel represents pain. In other words, if somebody bruises my heel, it slows me down, but it doesn't kill me. He bruises my heel, but he, can't, he doesn't. It's, it's not a mortal wound. If somebody strikes my head, it's a death blow. So he basically is telling Satan, he's saying, 
you will bruise his heel. You're going you're gonna to give him scars and scratches. And we know that Jesus has scars and Jesus has, has, has period. He, he went through the pain that he had to go through, but he didn't stop his kingdom. Satan, because of what Jesus did, crushed his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, all power now is given unto me. I took it all away from him. It's all mine now. I crushed his kingdom. So that's, that's, what it's, that's a good question. That's what, that's what he's trying to explain in all of that. Any others? This is good. Man, I love this stuff. We only got 16, 15 more weeks. For, for inspiration, let's make sure on this one. I don't want to misquote it. For inspiration, it's God uh, empowering someone, empowering a man, mainly men, because the, so God empowering men through the Holy Spirit to speak or to write His truth. You get that? It is God empowering men through His Holy Spirit to speak or to write His truth. Okay. Anything else? All right. So the definition for faith then, since we are we're getting to this point. So we understand that these are the things promised by Abraham. Now, here's the problem. Be careful because what New Testament preachers and people will do is they'll say, well, we have the blessings of Abraham flowing on us. Understand that those blessings flow mainly through the nation of Israel. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you're blessed to where you're not going to all your enemies and all this. That's not our covenant. Jesus said our covenant is this. They tortured, they tormented, they hated me. Guess what your inheritance is? They're going to torture, hate, kill you. But don't worry. Your inheritance is not like Abraham on this world. Your inheritance is from my father. So if you're faithful to me on this world, your reward will come in that world. We're still blessed people, but... We do not serve or follow God. Because what happens is, if we decide to be like Abraham and, and say, well, okay, we're going to trust God because we're like Abraham, then what happens if we are falsely accused and put in jail? Or we are uh, uh, killed? Or, or, okay, well then, God failed them. No. God didn't promise them on this world everything that they're... They're on this world and this side. We as Christians, the bride of Christ, are working toward our inheritance. Our salvation... God says, we got that. But your inheritance is what you are on this earth to import. He says, put up your rewards where, where moth can't eat it, rust can't bother it, because anything you go through on this world is not lasting. So that's what he's trying to teach. He's trying to show us. And so, so when I look at you and somebody says, well, I got cancer. Well, there's either two things going to happen. Either God is going to heal you of cancer because you've got work to do, or you're going to walk through this cancer and you're going to witness, and you're going to share, and you're going to sit in front of your family, and on, on your deathbed, you're going to look at them and say, I want you all to watch how a Christian leaves this world. You're either going to, you're either going to, going to one or the other, but it's not your blessing. It's just your trials, your test, your journey. But that means if, I, if I'm faithful to him, when I walk into heaven, and this is what I've said ever since I started preaching, there's a lot of little old ladies, there's a lot of little old men, there's a lot of people that are going to get a lot more than Pastor Lot. 
a lot more. I've been, I've been so blessed health-wise. I've been so blessed with gifts that I have. I've been, there are people that have had to suffer in their life and go through, and, and, and you think, man. But God says, no, that's my precious one. That's the one that I didn't have to give anything or do anything or help them in any way, but they would not let me go. Their rewards are going to be beyond a lot of things. Paul wrote it this way in Hebrews. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. He writes about all these heroes, and then he writes about these others, and he said, and there were those who died by the sword, who gave their life, who, who never got to see any of these big blessings. And they gave their life, and the world was not worthy of them. So whatever your lot in life, this is not the end. We as the bride of Christ is, are not, it doesn't mean the blessings of Abraham don't flow on us, but we don't live according to and, and attach to and have to have those to believe in God. That's not our covenant. So faith then, let me see if I can describe faith for you. Faith then is to trust and believe in something not experienced. It is to trust in believing in something that is not experienced. Uh, see if I can say it this way. There is a guy. I trust you. I really trust you. You come up to me after church and say, Pastor Luck, I want to tell you something. Upstairs in the prayer room, there's a guy who just built a chair out of nothing but milk chocolate. Big old chair. Nothing but milk chocolate. Thing's huge. It's like a crown king's chair. Man, we could sit there and eat on that thing all night long. Now, what's the problem now I have? Why am I not real sure? Out of chocolate. How'd they get that chocolate up there? How big a bar of chocolate are we talking about? How, how much? Cho- okay, now my mind starts fighting me. But what makes me go up there and look? Because I trust Him. Okay, let me explain this. Faith is me trusting enough in Him that I'm willing to go where I would never go to gain an experience that I can't get without going. Now, when I walk up there and I come running back down and I got chocolate all over my face, I'm like, he didn't lie. Man, that thing's made out of chocolate. I've been eating on that thing. I've been eating the top of it. I've been... It is awesome. Now, you all then would run upstairs like, oh, we want some too. But you wouldn't be operating in faith, you'd be doing it out of my experience. So faith works like this. It is believing in, trusting in something that somebody has said and told you that is there and you have no experience for it, but yet you're willing to go. That's faith. And that can be sickness, that can be your marriage, that can be 
It's like, brother, what? God's told me to hang in there. Well, then hang in there. I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't. Trust what you can't see. Trust what you can't feel. Hold on to it until you're at the end. And what you will have at the end of it is what I have in a lot of ways. And people are like, boy, pastor, I wish I had one. Well, let me explain to you. To gain experience, you got to have a lot of faith trips. A lot of things people say, well, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't sell my house. I wouldn't move to far as Mississippi. I wouldn't do all that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't build that. I wouldn't, nobody's going to come. This is going to, you can't do that. You know how many things I've heard in my lifetime? And all of them are true. Except the one who told me said it would work. And I had a choice. I can trust him and see. Or I could believe others and accept. Let me read this last scripture and get you out of here because I got one minute. Romans 3, 21 through 31. It may take me longer than a minute to read it. But this sums up what we just said in the New Testament. This is what Paul writes about what I just shared. Here's what he says. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. So, so the righteous, being righteous, has nothing to do with living up to a certain standard or working or earning. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have been told there's a chocolate chair up there. Everybody's been told this, but nobody's going to make you go. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the moment that I step out and I start to walk, God counts that as what? Faith. And He says... That's it. But I don't even have it yet. Doesn't matter. I don't, I, don't, I don't care your perfection. I want your faith. So that's why the moment you're sitting here, the devil's telling you, God won't forgive you. God won't forgive you. God won't forgive you. The moment you step up and start walking, what does the devil change and start telling you? What does he tell you after you ask God to forgive you? Somebody talk to me. Huh? It's not enough. You ain't doing enough. Man, you know how much bad stuff you did? You know he didn't forgive you. What's the problem? The devil knows as long as I'm sitting here, I'm not operating in faith. And when I start walking, all he can do is to get me to stop walking by faith. And God says, salvation has nothing to do with your perfection. You're doing everything right. It only has to do with the fact of, are you walking by faith? Those who walk by faith do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh, it means I've stopped walking by. I can't do both at the same time. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of? The law of faith says if I'm moving, 
in faith, I'm free. The law says, if you don't live up to a certain standard, you're not free. God says, you couldn't do it. So I came with another alternative. As long as you walk by faith, you're free. Just walk by faith. God, I'm not perfect. I know it. But keep walking by faith. You'll get better. But I ain't got it all figured out. It's okay. Keep walking by faith. You're never going to get better by sitting here waiting. You got to just get up and start walking and say, God, I've filed it up again. Well, get up, start walking again. And, and, and oh, God, I'm still filing. Get up. I said it wrong, God. That's okay. Just say, go apologize. Sam, I'm sorry I said that. Sometimes Tim gets all in the way. And, and so just, just forgive me and, and, and get up and go. And you know what? I count that faith. The same faith Abraham. Was Abraham perfect? No. He told one king, hey, this is my, this is my sister. And before the king was about to fool around with his wife, God's, God reminded the king, you better not touch that woman. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. God said, oh, through Abraham. He, no. Abraham, get up. All by faith. Okay. I'm sorry. I fouled it up. I'm going to do better. And he did. By the time he's at the end, what is he doing? He's standing there ready to sacrifice his own son, believing his God can't fail. Therefore, he concluded that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? See? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? In other words, because now we've accepted faith, does that mean we just can do anything? No, like I described to you, it's a walk. We're trying to get better. Listen to what he says. I love this. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we we fumble and bumble along. And when somebody says, well, you didn't do it right. I know I didn't do it right, but I'm trying. But that doesn't change that that's right. That's still right. That never became wrong. That never became a, a bad thing. But God says, as long as I keep striving, he'll count that as good. And as long as I don't quit on him, he says, that's good. I count that good. But God, I mess up. I know it. You're human. You're going to. But you also, by choice, can get up. And you're by choice can do better. And hopefully over 40-something years, one day you wake up and, and you're so far from the fence that even if you stumble, you don't even think, you're not even close to sin. I may stumble, but Lord, I'm, I'm so far away from, you know, somebody say, cheating on your wife. Cheating on my wife. Lord, I, she wouldn't even give me the money to do it. I'm so far away from that fence. I can't afford it. I done fixed so many things in my life. I'm good. And what you do in life is you fix yourself. I'm so depth in church. I'm so into my life. I'm so into God. I'm so, I don't know any other life. And that's living by faith. We are the people of the book just like they are. But we are justified by faith. Will you bow your heads? Father, tonight as we start this journey of your people and how this thing ends, how, how you 
Just as miraculously as you bring floods, just as miraculously as you create a world without sin, and just as miraculously as you've done all of this, you will miraculously bring it all to an end. There's no stopping you. You will round the people that you call your people. And you will bring that remnant home one day. As we go through these books, as we, as we walk through this journey of learning about them and how they fit into us and how we fit into them, and as we get to the look at how it all wraps up, God, let us enjoy the journey. You said in the book of Revelations at the very end, blessed is everyone who reads this book. Because knowing how it ends and knowing who wins makes all the difference. And God, we win. We win. Beyond death, problems, sacrifices, disease, all the stuff that we, we face in the world, we win. And that's all that matters. God, thank you for this first lesson. And allow us to just continue to dig in and learn more about you and ourselves as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen.